Hi, I'm Kristen, and welcome to part two of the astrology of Taylor Swift. So now that Mercury retrogrades over, we've stationed direct, we have our shit together, we're back on schedule. So thanks so much for your patience, and with this episode, we'll get back to a more regular release schedule. And to quickly recap from part one, we can clearly see Taylor's star power in her chart, and she only continues to fulfill all of the potential that we see lies within and ahead of her. So in this episode, we're going to mix things up just a little bit, but we'll continue to explore Miss Americana herself through numerology, mythology, and the astrology of her different eras, each one that propelled her from one stage in her life and career to the next. So let's get into it and look at some very recent examples of how she's using her strange magic on us. So last month on August 9th, that's 8-9, Taylor announced the re-recording of 1989, Taylor's version, hitting us with a double dose of numerology. And that same day, Taylor's team posted an Instagram with the caption, quote, 53 shows, 20 cities, 10 eras, 5 months, and one thing is for sure. Add up the numbers, and what do you get? 89. So Eagle-Eyed Swifty sussed out an even more kind of deranged numeric clue that it had been 3,208 days since 1989, the original, had been released. And 3 plus 2 plus 0 plus 8 equals 13. And we know about her relationship with her very lucky number, 13. So this would be a super bizarre coincidence if there is such a thing, but numerology is one of those modalities that's so cool because it often plays out in the subconscious or the unconscious before actually materializing. Or maybe it's magic. Who's to say? And Taylor admitted that while she does use numerology in her work, she often doesn't even realize the spells that she's casting. And in 2020, she told Jimmy Kimmel, quote, the numerology thing, when it doesn't take over on its own, I sort of force it to happen, end quote. So was the 3,208 days between the original 1989 and Taylor's version announcement an example of that numerology, quote, taking over on its own? Or did Swift actually figure out the days and plan accordingly? At this point, both are equally likely. So her release of Folklore and Evermore, two faves, ushered in a new era of witchery and sort of this next level of her releasing these secret messages. So let's quickly time travel back to 2020, then we'll get the hell out of there, to clue into all of those seeds she planted back then and that just continue to grow with her and her music. Not only did she remix and release the song titled Willow, the Lonely Witch version, she captions the music video with, quote, thematically, we still explored mythology, stories, and secrets, end quote. So Swift explains that the song Willow is, quote, about intrigue, desire, and the complexity that goes into wanting someone. I think it sounds like casting a spell to make somebody fall in love with you, end quote. Oh my. So is the secret of Taylor's work her use of witchcraft, alchemy, or something else entirely? We'll never really know. And that's the way she likes it. So before we get back into astrology, let's take a little spiritual detour into the tarot. 
So the tarot has a long history, as in like hundreds of years of history, of featuring little clues and symbols within the cards that speak to universal archetypes and really help us to tap into our subconscious. So again, we know Taylor's mystical relationship with the number 13, but the number 14 also plays a very mysterious role in all of this. So following the death card in the tarot, which is number 13, and again, not about death at all. It's about transformation. It's associated with the sign of Scorpio. Following that comes a 14th card in the Major Arcana, which is temperance. This is the card associated with the sign of Sagittarius, the sign that follows Scorpio. So the temperance card is also considered the healer card, and it's really there to ease our way out of the death transformation process and into this new state of being. And it may appear in a reading if there's a need for healing in some area of life. It could be relationships, it could be career, it could be life in general. It's just about a sort of next step into the next positive stage. And in her Vogue 73 Questions interview, this was from seven years ago back in 2016, the interview asks, Taylor, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Her response, healing people. He follows up then with the question, Taylor, what's a life lesson you think everyone should learn? She replies, that karma is real. So the temperance card usually depicts an angel pouring liquid from one chalice or goblet to another. In the Thoth deck version, Aleister Crowley, who was co-creator of that deck, says that the angel in this card is Artemis or Diana, the goddess of the hunt and the moon. And who else but the archer herself? And I'll link to both this and the traditional Rider Waite, Pamela Coleman-Smith versions of the Temperance card in the show notes, along with the Vogue interview. In this card, we typically see one foot of the angel in water, which represents the subconscious, while the other foot is on dry land, representing the material world. And this angel holds two cups in a manner where she can mix the waters, and which represent the super and subconscious minds through the process of alchemy. So what the hell does that mean? And what does the temperance card have to do with the sign of Sagittarius? Well, both are really about the pursuit of enlightenment through experience. So when we look at the constellation Sagittarius, it's the centaur. It's a creature that's half human, half horse, carrying a bow, also referred to, as you guessed it, the archer. And Sagittarius uses a trusty bow and arrow to dream big and aim high. And in Greek mythology, one of the centaurs is actually named Chiron, which connects us back to astrology. So the asteroid Chiron is known as the wounded healer, and it appears in our personal charts in the planet and the houses that we personally most need to heal, in turn giving us this sort of superpower to heal others that are experiencing the same difficulties that we've gone through. And it's the sort of placement in our chart that tells others, I've been here too, and I know the way out. It's a really sort of special placement, so you can definitely check that out in your own chart just by uh, looking up your chart on Cafe Astrology or Astro.com. There are a million different sources. So like we see in the death card, 
The alchemy featured in the temperance card is a continuation of transformation and it's a representation of the collective consciousness, which Taylor seems to be able to tap into ridiculously easily. And the earliest alchemists were attempting to make synthetic gold, but they were also trying to transform and bend the will of nature to their human imagination. This card's essentially about experimentation. So trying new combos and how some of the best innovations and inventions in life can come through just a process of curiosity. Or you may call this process a remix. And as a historical side note for my fellow nerds, the earliest form of alchemy involved astrology, magic, and scientific processes. Then eventually it ended up splitting off so that the occult and the metaphysical aspects of it became one thing and science and chemistry became its own thing. Also, 1989, Taylor's version, happens to be her 14th album. So fun. Okay, so now let's get back into the astrology reflected in Taylor's earliest eras to present day. And in the spirit of the number 14, let's start with Taylor's astrology beginning around that age. So when Taylor turned 14 during her first Saturn opposition, she signed a major music publishing deal with Sony ATV, and she became the youngest signee in history to do so. And a Saturn opposition occurs between the ages of 14 and 16. This happens for everyone. And it signifies the first time teenagers really feel empowered by the cosmos. And it's their chance to challenge authority and begin to establish their own voice. And in Swift's case, her Saturn opposition occurred right around that time that country music was kind of falling out of favor with younger audiences. And rather than going with the crowd, She was able to sort of carve out a unique space in country music, and it really gave that shot of youthful exuberance that the genre needed at the time. So at 20 years old, Taylor experienced her Saturn square and won her first Grammy for Album of the Year for Fearless. And your Saturn square is a time when you're starting to strike out on your own, you're really trying to make a name for yourself in the world, And this happens again to everyone around the age of 20. You'll notice that many sort of experience an identity crisis or a need to kind of reinvent themselves to be taken seriously. And during these years, we see Taylor enjoy commercial success, but we also see her get a ton of pushback from country purists and other influential industry heavyweights. So in other words, it's really the early stages of life unsheltered. Now let's get to our fave, just kidding. At age 29, Saturn returns with his cruel to be kind life lessons and Taylor was truly no exception. During her Saturn return, Swift lost ownership of her master recordings when her label surreptitiously sold her entire recorded catalog to Scooter Braun who, FYI, appears to be on the brink of a scandal, but that's another episode. So your Saturn return sucks, and it really marks a time in life where there's no more hiding behind youthful ignorance. It's time to face the music, the harsh reality, and really face that life is not fair. Again, it's really hard, and the only way out of this time in your life is through. 
And in Swift's case, she made a very difficult decision to walk away from all of the work she'd put in since the age of 14 in favor of having full creative freedom, as well as financial control of her future and her own narrative moving forward. And if you want to understand the sort of vibe of Saturn's seemingly slow, torturous long game, just look at the Kim and Kanye snake-like saga. Since their betrayal, we've seen Kanye self-implode, get caught with his pants down in Italy, and no disrespect to Kim, but her star appears to be fading a bit. So Taylor tells us to ask her what she learned from all those years, ask her what she earned from all those tears, and ask her why so many fade, but she's still here. So Pluto, the lord of the underworld, also plays a big role in this harsher reputation era. So the album was written when Pluto was conjunct, meaning close to in the sky, to her natal Mercury, the way she communicates. And this placement speaks to that distinctive dark and kind of vengeful tone and colors of the album. And that's really thanks to Pluto's power plays and killing the old Taylor only for her to rise from the dead yet again. And we can also credit Jupiter and Scorpio at this time for really amplifying the drama, igniting her rising sign, and awakening her sleeping Mars. It's this period in her personal astrology that she tells her enemies to essentially F off and run or get run over. So following the darkness of reputation, we come into the light of the lover era. And these albums may look like complete polar opposites, but they're actually astrologically synchronistic. So we see Jupiter, that lucky planet Jupiter, transition from moody Scorpio to optimistic Sagittarius, her sun sign. And these two albums really reflect that vibe. It's between these two eras that the drama surrounding the ownership of her music happens sort of in tandem with her unapologetic foray into women's rights, LGBTQIA plus rights, and the political discourse at large, which was kind of shocking for some reason at the moment, but was ultimately pretty cool of her. Saturn basically gave her an A plus and she was free to move on and upward. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about the concept of electional astrology. So electional astrology is the act of choosing a specific date because of fortunate astrological aspects. And a number of artists, including Taylor, have a history of releasing content near eclipses. Billie Eilish is also known to use this tactic as well, which we can cover in a future episode. But for now, let's look at Taylor's use of this sort of potent cosmic climate. On the day of the total solar eclipse in 2017 which you may remember since we all got the glasses, we were told not to look at the sun. Swift started teasing her album, Reputation, signaling a major shift in her image and her sound. Fans online even wondered whether her next album would be called Eclipse. Its release date was that blatant. And Eclipses, as we know, bring swift and extreme endings and beginnings, pun intended, and we can see this with the closing of one era, and the start of a new. Another clue suggesting her use of electional astrology is the release of her most recent studio album, Midnights, 
released October 21st, 2022, which was four days before the partial solar eclipse of October 25th. And that's the same day she released this very mystical, magical music video for Bejeweled. And the album release date also suggests that she's using a sort of cosmic cushioning since the album came out the day before what's called the Venus star point in Libra, which occurred on October 22nd. What the hell is that? So a Venus star point, this sort of transit is an example of what's called a Kazemi, meaning it forms a close conjunction with the sun. And the poetic name for this formation is a reflection of the word's origin, which is derived from the Arabic term kazmimi, which means as if in the heart. So whenever Venus and the sun connect like this, it's a time of self-confidence, heightened creativity that has sort of a dreaminess to it, much like the album itself. And during the creation of Midnight's, Taylor's sun in Sagittarius was squaring the dreamy planet of Neptune, which rules music, enchantment, psychic feels, and intuition, and it really gave her that cosmic tailwind that allowed her to churn out hit after hit. And on the exact release date of the album, it's October 21st, 2022, Neptune exactly squared her sun, suggesting a hugely significant creative triumph. Oh my. Okay, so now let's turn to some of Swift's favorite fairy tales and myths. So Taylor explains that Folklore and Evermore are albums that represent, quote, escapes into fantasy, history, and memory, end quote. She writes, quote, in isolation, my imagination has run wild, and this album is the result, a collection of songs and stories that flowed like a stream of consciousness. I've told these stories to the best of my ability with all the love, wonder, and whimsy they deserve. Now it's up to you to pass them down, end quote. And while we do get specific mythical nods, she may not even realize what stories she's telling since they belong to all of us, in a sense, as a collective human condition. After all, humans always love a passionate love story filled with tragedy and magic. I want to discuss one song in particular off of Folklore, which personally I think is one of the most beautiful songs she's written. It's called Invisible String, and it's Folklore's 11th track. And at the time of the Folklore Long Pond studio sessions, Taylor explained that the inspiration for track 11 was the concept of destiny. So we know she's using numerology here as well. The string that she mentions in this song takes us back to the myth of Ariadne's thread that leads her lover Theseus through a labyrinth, sound familiar? Filled with demons and dead ends and ultimately out safely on the other side. We again revisit this concept on the 10th track of Midnight's of the same name, Labyrinth which coincidentally peaked at number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100. Swift clearly feels a connection to the spirit of this ancient story, which goes as follows. As punishment for the prince's murder in Athens, King Minos of Crete made a demand. They choose seven Athenian boys and seven Athenian girls once every seven years to send to Crete to the labyrinth the home of a half-man, half-bull monster named Minotaur. Theseus, 
a brave man from Athens volunteered to go in place of one of the seven boys. We're getting like Hunger Games vibes here. So we can see how this story evolves over time. And upon Theseus' arrival to Crete, Princess Ariadne, she was the daughter of that bloodthirsty King Minos, fell madly in love with Theseus and secretly gifted a clue of gold thread to use in order to make his way out of the treacherous maze. Ariadne stood at the entrance holding one end while Theseus traversed this deadly twist and turns, needing only to follow the golden string connected to the woman he promised to marry if he made it out alive. Unarmed and vulnerable, Theseus makes his way to the heart of the puzzle where he finds the beast. And after a long, exhausting, and ultimately triumphant fight, he strangles the Minotaur to death before using the single thread of gold that tied him to Ariadne as a means out of this hellish labyrinth. So Theseus and his new bride escape Crete, go back to Athens, where his win marks the end of sending innocent children to their deaths forevermore. And on the meaning of the labyrinth throughout time, Tashin's Book of Symbols explains, quote, in mercurial fashion, the movement through the labyrinth veers back and forth, round and round, creating a dance whose steps eventually weave a vessel strong enough to hold what was at first an intolerable experience. Even today, the myth of Ariadne's golden thread resonates, and it's really there to remind us that while throughout life we encounter a long maze full of enemies, betrayals, and missteps, there's always love and happiness waiting for us on the other side, which is quite a beautiful sentiment. Let's talk a little bit about her next album, Evermore. Taylor continues on her enchanting journey into the winter months with Folklore's sister album, Evermore, released in December of the same year. There are a lot of different mythological nods here, but I really want to focus on one specific example. The music video for the album's opening track, that's number one, Willow, tells the story of Narcissus and Echo, and it calls back to her earlier experience with the labyrinth parable in the opening scene where we see Taylor holding a golden thread. She once again opens her magical piano and follows the thread into a magical land where she admires the reflection in the lake beside her lover. Moments later, she jumps in to find the heart that faith has in store for her. The actual Greek legend of Narcissus tells a way more violent and tragic version than what we see in this music video, but it's one of the most enduring tales from Greek mythology. It's about self-love, unrequited love, and the kind of love that can transform into a dangerous obsession, in turn making a lover into a mythical thing. As the story goes, Narcissus was a beautiful young man who couldn't recognize his own reflection, and after rejecting the nymph, Echo, the gods punished him for his petulant defiance, which caused him to fall in love with his own reflection. Narcissus, seeing his beautiful face reflected in the lake, also jumped towards the one he loved, himself, and subsequently drowned. Ah, narcissism, a tale as old as time. Let's now turn to the visuals from Taylor's most recent studio album, Midnight's. And if you haven't seen the music videos for the four singles, specifically Bejeweled, Lavender Haze, and Karma, I really recommend checking them out, not only for this next section to make more sense, but 
They are truly eye candy. The Bejewel music video was released on the exact date of that partial solar eclipse on October 25th, and it's a modern take on the Cinderella archetype. And it opens with the three Haim, Haim sisters in the role of the Wicked Stepsisters. Their names are displayed in Disney font, which is sort of a cheeky reference to Taylor's sworn enemies, who sold her entire musical catalog to the Disney family's investment firm, Shamrock Holdings. And we see Taylor suffering their mockery, scrubbing the floors, until she opens a mysterious pocket watch in the form of a golden seashell. The time reads 2.22 with the caption, quote, exile ends, end quote. And this, I'm assuming, is signifying that her folklore Evermore era is officially over, and now it's midnight's time to shine. And the final scene of this music video greets us with a beautiful full moon, which feels like a subtle wink to the witches and warlocks of the world. Taylor premiered the video for her second single, Lavender Haze, with even more astrology, including the final scene where we see the Orion Nebula. You'd recognize it once you see it, so definitely check that out or just even Google image the Orion Nebula. In one version of the ancient myth, Artemis, the archer, goddess of the hunt and the moon, and Orion, an expert hunter and mere mortal, are lovers whose story met an extremely tragic end. And in this version of the myth, Artemis and Orion are two hunters who became lovers, friends, and one another's companions while hunting wild animals and exploring these mythical forests. The two lovers spend their days challenging each other to archery competitions and filling the forests with their laughter. That is until Artemis's twin brother, Apollo, killed Orion in a Jealous rage, devastating Artemis, who never found love again. Questionable relations here. But this is only one version of the myth, and quite a romantic one at that. Either way, in most variations of the story, Orion is killed at the hands of some sort of trickery, which is a theme we see in here repeatedly in Taylor's music. Also, the image of the Orion Nebula is one of the most scrutinized and photographed objects in the night sky, and it's among the most intensely studied. Well, damn. If that's not the message of Lavender Haze, then what is? We know her cosmic wisdom is infinite. And that leads us to the fourth music video off of Midnight's for this song, Karma, featuring Ice Spice. Here, Taylor leaves very little up to interpretation since the whole video is filled with goddesses and astrological symbology throughout. But I'm only going to focus on a few examples here in the interest of time. But... I'm happy to dig deeper if it's something that interests you. So Taylor opens the video holding the scales of justice and dressed as Nemesis, the Greek goddess of retribution, revenge, and justice. The numerals on the pedestal where she stands read M-C-M-L-X-X-X-I-X, which translates to 1989. We then go into this creepy clue-filled scene that's reminiscent of the reputation era that transitions with an hourglass around taylor's eyes that turn into an infinity symbol and through this infinity symbol we encounter the archetype of the aurora boros which is an ancient symbol depicting a serpent biting its own tail and it represents infinity immortality continuity self-fertilization and the eternal cycle of life after death it also 
denotes the concept of karma, that everything you do has an effect which will eventually come around and come back to you. And Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung saw this Aurora Boros as a universal archetype, the basic mandala of alchemy, and a symbol of our ability to regenerate ourselves through self-reflection. It also happens to appear in the magician card. Does all eyes on you, my magician, ring a bell? Perhaps. So this scene's followed by Taylor skipping down a yellow brick road, donning a witch's broom, no less, keeping her side of the street clean before she's again met by darkness with three horsemen flipping her off. We then see Taylor and Ice Spice ascending a pyramid to the 13th step. And just like we touched on in the last episode, the ancient Egyptians revered the number 13 as it represented the 12 stages of spiritual ascension on earth, with the 13th stage being the joyous afterlife, or their version of heaven. Next in the video, we see Taylor and Ice Spice in front of a night sky and their respective zodiac signs constellations. Taylor Sagittarius, Ice Spice, Capricorn. And the following scene features a very deliberate lunar eclipse and the planet Saturn, which brings back all of those Saturnian themes we spoke about earlier and the power of eclipses. So Saturn is the roaming god and Kronos is the Greek version and he's the god of time and karma. So together we see Taylor and Ice Spice use those threads of fate to lasso the eclipsed moon and Saturn into conjunction. And in astrology, when Saturn conjuncts the moon, it's about someone facing their karma. They're forced to pay up and it's time to settle a karmic debt. We're sort of playing with the idea of time here. So it could be argued that the artists are not only collecting, but creating their future karma. Taylor's basically communicating with us in the 5D and we hear you, girl. So that finally concludes our Taylor Swift mini-series, and we'll pick up next week with a new and exciting topic. And in the meantime, please reach out if you'd like to book a personal reading or gift one for a friend. Remember to like, share, subscribe, leave a review if you feel like it. Again, it helps the show grow and reach those who may be into this stuff. So until next time, thanks.